Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me once again today. Today, I am joined by a colleague, someone who has recently joined us here at Content Group to help you, government and public sector communicators around the world, to improve your storytelling. Michelle Dunbreen graduated from Trinity College at the University of Dublin in Ireland in 1991 with an honours degree in sociology and German before she trained as a journalist. She then worked for newspapers and magazines, both in the political and lifestyle areas for more than 20 years, both in in Ireland, uh, in London, and then in Australia. Uh, Her most recent position has been at the Canberra Times as the editor of the Saturday edition's news review and analysis section. Michelle later moved into academia, joining the Faculty of Arts and Design at the University of Canberra as a teaching fellow in journalism and communication back in 2011. Here, her role was really to educate the students on political and strategic communication. And she received a communications doctorate in 2015 for her research into the Australian media's representation of Indigenous opposition to the Northern Territory Emergency Response in Australia back in 2007, which is also known more colloquially as just the intervention. Michelle then worked as the University of Canberra's News and Media Research Centre, specialising in media representation of marginalised groups. And following this, she worked as an external affairs and media advisor to Amnesty International in Australia. She has worked most recently as Capacity Building Outreach Advisor to the Australia Centre for International Agriculture Research, which is a small government agency under the Australian aid umbrella. And she has now brought those many, many talents and significant experience to here at Content Group. And we are so delighted that she is here to help us, to help you. Michelle, welcome to GovComs. Great. Great to be here, David, and great to be here at Content Group. <laughs> That's good. Well, I'm pleased. I'm pleased. No, it's great. Um, you've, got, you've almost got the perfect background to, to deal with this sort of change and transition that's moving. You know, government communication traditionally has been about how do we go and buy a whole heap of television advertising? How do we go and buy radio advertising? Now, and there is still a place for that, don't get me wrong, but we're really shifting into the content communication, as we call it, or content marketing age, which really is about storytelling, uh, journalism, and those sorts of skills. So if you're a government communicator and you are looking to understand about, okay, well, if that's what I've got to do, how, what, are the, what are the sort of, what, what's the makeup of a good journalist? What, what makes a good journalist? Well... It, that, that That's a very interesting question because when I worked as a journalist, people would talk about it like it was some kind of mystique. You know, you'd have a nose for news that you had some kind of innate ability to, you know, spot a story. But then when I went to journal, academia, I realised there's been a lot of research around this, around um, what makes a good story. And people can learn that, you know. So um, 
So um, this nose for news is basically about what you realizing what makes a good story, and um, what might turn an event into a story. Like we have events every day, but none of them they're not all great stories. Yeah. So, um, for example, um, so like yeah, what point it does an event become news? Like what point do you begin to to tell a story? So like so. Um, the qualities that you need are basically like, yeah, curiosity, you know, wide reading, um, uh, uh, compassion, um, cynicism, I think, is a bit of a killer um, for finding good stories. Because if you think you know everything, um, you uh, miss a lot. Mm. Um, if you think that some people um, are more worthy of listening to than others, um, you can miss a lot. A really important skill for um, journalists and content creators is listening, deep listening, and like I said, curiosity, asking questions, and asking follow-up questions, and listening to the answers. You know, if you're listening to, you're asking someone a question, a, a killer for an interviewer, for example, and also for a content creator, is if you ask a question and you don't listen to the answer, yeah. because um, you miss the gold. Yeah, so that's really that's an interesting point because it sort of develops on on a theme that has come out of so many interviews over the last probably twelve months of doing GovComs, which is this this notion of the role of the communicator being the glue, being the person who's getting up from behind their desk and going and finding those stories. And it's interesting you mentioned there that you know the empathy and humility and being able to go and ask and understand and to be to able to be vulnerable enough to ask the questions, to build that confidence where people will tell you what's going on. Because I, I look at government departments and I just all I see is an Aladdin's cave of great stories because, mm -hmm. you know, 99.9% .9 of what government does is they're trying to do good things. You know, mm. no one's trying to not do a good job mm. or no one's not trying to, um, you know, to improve, a, you know, in, in, in Australia's case or in mm. the ACT government or any government around the world to improve their communities and, and improve the well-being of citizens. So in terms of those actual skills, though, so listening's one thing, but how do I then develop that nose to know that actually I'm onto a story here, I've got something that is going to be worthwhile, that, that the audience is going to be interested in? Well... Well, going back to what you're talking about there about in government departments and being a labyrinth of stories, and there's so many yeah. stories that aren't coming out. Yeah. Um, what's really key is to have communication strategies, um, you know, so that um, you, you um, well, you know your channels, you know your audience, you know where your what kind of stories that are um, uh, within your organisation that you can find. Um, and I tend to agree with that as well because I, I think that's key and, and that's a very good insight because so often... Um, you know, people will say, well, I'm, we're, you know, we're going to do a website, we're going to do an app, we're going to do a video, we're going to do... And then you, if you ask the very simple question of, well, why are you doing that? There's not often you know, that str strong um, strategic rationale that's sitting behind it. And that's really the point, and certainly the point of the framework that we've developed with the Australian National University, which is really about forcing people to address topics strategically and so is so that they're understanding, well, what are the objectives? What is the organisation trying to achieve in terms of its policy, its program, its service or its regulation? And then how can you as a communicator be an enabler? Where are those stories that are going to help you to bring those to life in such a way that those audiences will then respond yeah, like and act and change and move in a way that is going to help you to try to achieve that end objective that you're looking for. Yeah. Like you're saying, like, there's loads of stories out there, but you need to find a way to tell them in a compelling way. You know, whether that's um, 
Well, you know, writing, you know, you need to be able to, like writing isn't something that necessarily comes naturally. So writing, rewriting, editing, and learning from your editor, and finding um, the imagery that goes with it, that tells the story in the way that you want to. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but I think that's, you know, I think that's great advice. So in terms of that writing, you know, getting, getting the writing... Right. I, I remember years ago, there was a very famous uh, journalist up in, uh, up in Parliament House when I was a young journalist, and um, his name was Peter Bowers. Um, his son is a mate of mine, Michael Bowers, fantastic photographer for The Guardian up in, up in Parliament House. And I remember saying to, uh, to, to Peter Bowers one day, you know, what's the secret? Because I used to love reading his stuff because it was just so, so rich in humanity you know he really got people and when he wrote about issues he really got to that essence of the people and you couldn't put a if you started writing a peter bowers sorry reading a peter bowers story you couldn't put it down because there was it it was always it had twists and turns and you could see the people and you felt that you Mm. were part of it but that's not that easy to do but i did ask him one day i said well so what's the secrets and he said well there's six things you got to read Read and read, mm. and then you've got to write, write and write. So, mm. to you, is it is it that simple? Is that the way to to improve the way that you, that, that you can write? Well, absolutely, because uh, like for example, the selection of you know which words you use is crucial to being able to tell the story in the way that you really want to tell it. Like for example, in news writing, um, we always say a source said so and so said so and so said, but in feature writing, for example, last time I looked, um, and I used this in a lecture before, there were 91 different words in the English language to describe the word said, and they all have a different meaning, you know. Yeah. So it's and they all frame the story in a different, help frame the story in a different way, and they can position the actors in the story, the sources in the story in different ways. So. Um, yeah, writing, you just have to really, like, every single word counts, you know, um, mm. in, when you're telling a story. And you, never more so, say, in social media, when you're creating content for social. You know, you only have a small number of words and, you know, pick them wisely. But how do, how do you get better? Is it just that matter that you really just practice. have to practice? Yeah. It's as simple as that, that yeah. you've really got to get to the essence Absolutely. of it. To, to know the topic, know the subject, uh, know people. And just get going, yeah. and, and then and then and how important you mentioned the role there of the editor. Absolutely. You know, what's the role of the editor for you? Well, the role I've learned a lot from editors over the years, and um, if you're willing to take their on what they you know their expertise, their um, suggestions for how you can improve your writing, you can. That's one of the best ways to learn. So the editor would, um, oh, like pick up all kinds of things, you know, like from the way the story, you know, we, from the way the story is framed, for example, like, you know, whether the lead has been buried down in paragraph yeah. three or, yeah. or whether, you guilty. know. Guilty, I've been guilty of yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It's hard sometimes, isn't it, when you you get a little bit close and that value is in someone being able to say, well, hang on, I'm looking at it from a little higher point and I just can't see the... Yeah, and I I actually think your story is this, not the way you... Or your story should start at this point, not... You know, if you get up in the morning and you walk down the street to... Go to the news agents, and you see, and because your car has a flat tire, but you see a clown on the side of the road crying. The story isn't about your flat tire. The cra- <laughs> story is about why is yeah. he there and what's he crying about. And, and, and this again, but, but, but that's, and that's another great point, isn't it? Is because it's the the emotional. Where, you know, where's the emotion in in a in a mm. incident in mm. an environment? Because mm. the as you know that story you just told there, it's 
as you say, it's the clown. And why yeah, is and you clown? start with the clown. And you maybe. start with the clown. Or you, know? you could have a, if you want to build tension, you might have it as a delayed intro, you know, to the story. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of then writing for, for government, because this is, again, another, you know, bugbear of mine where it's, you know, there's style guides and there are other things put in place. Mm. And often, you know, they're, they're a blunt instrument to sort of belt the life out of, you know, any sort of creativity or imagination or mm-hmm. prose. Yeah, what's your view around that, you know, sort of that blockish, hard, um, you know, mm. uh, I don't know, sterile way of, of well, writing stuff and, oh, that's the way we have to do it? Well, I think star guides definitely have their place, you know, like you want consistency in how you present things to the public. Like every uh, media outlet and every department or whatever would have their own star guide or the government would have its own star guide so that the consumer isn't picking up one story and it's, something spelt one way or something spelt a dif- and spelt differently in another. You know, it just becomes jarring for the reader. You want to have that consistency. You want to have that trust. Yes. The reader wants to. But then, but then when I mentioned editors earlier, editors are great, but editing by committee is the killer. Yeah. You know, like I think in um, government communication and in other places as well, sometimes there are way too many layers of checking. You know, you need, and the creativity can be edited out of something. The, the, the emotion or the, the story can be um, just, you know, killed by too many um, cooks. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, but how do you get a... Because, you know, and again, I think I can probably hear people listening going, yeah, that happens to me all the time, you know. I put something forward and then, uh, you know, people want to touch it on their way through. And, you know, there's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, particularly external communication. It's identified with risk and we don't want the True. minister to be seen yep. badly. And I, you know, and because everyone can read and write, they mm. feel like that they know something about it. So yep. what what advice do you have for people to try to smooth the path so as that people don't feel they have a need to, you know, jump on every piece of, mm. you know, copy that you, you yeah. put together? Well, I'd say at the beginning, like even before you write, have a risk kind of mitigation strategy in place or a risk matrix, you know, um, or a production process is really important, you know, about who, you know, who is involved in the production from the beginning to the end, from the writer to who checks it to who who signs it off, um, and not involve anybody else in that. Okay. But the most important thing is, yeah, is knowing what your risks are, you know, and um, preparing for them. And and again, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Because not everything is risky. You know, yeah. some some things, you know, might be if it's a ministerial announcement about a you know, a huge new project which is addressing a very big, you know, pertinent issue, safer in Australia at the moment, uh, around the drought. You know, Australia is in a grip of a once in a generation, well, you know, probably perhaps one of the worst drought, droughts mm. the country's ever seen. The government's very sensitive at the moment about that and trying to find solutions to it. So, you know, content that's going out as it relates to those sharper ends. But there's so much content that really doesn't mm. need that much supervision, mm. isn't there? Yeah, so it'll be about managers, I guess, um, trusting their staff. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, recruiting the right people, but you know, so that they can trust them. Yeah. But then trusting your staff to do a good job. And, but I think, um, well, I think your, your touch, great insight yeah. there, though, is then, then once you're in that position, is then build the process mm, and, and get all the stakeholders to agree. Look, 
this is our line. Yep. Okay, this is how we're going to create content. These are the steps that we're going to go through. If it's this type of content, okay, it might need a little bit extra, but by and large, this is what we're doing. And if you have that in place and you build confidence through that process, maybe things can accelerate. Because there's no question one of the greatest issues for any government communicator working anywhere in the world is the dreaded approvals processes. Right, you know, yeah. That, that, that's just, you know, people look at that. And it kills people. Mm-hmm. It sucks the life out of them. And when you talk to them, you know, their heads go down and it's like, you know, they've they're trying, but, you know, they're, they're getting killed by it. But mm. perhaps that's a bit of good advice, though, is to make sure that they they understand what it is and and maybe even march it back up the line and mm. say, hey, listen, you know, do we really, do you think we really need to have, mm. you know, does it really need to get to the, you know, senior executive service for approval? Mm. Could perhaps it not come down a little bit lower and you have the confidence in your, you know, executive level that they may be able to approve and distribute content? Yeah. Because I think the and this is, I suppose, the, the next part of the conversation is that we're really into this new world of, you know, the factors of media production and distribution are now democratised. You know, mm-hmm. we don't buy ink in 44-gallon drums. We don't need fleets of trucks to develop, uh, to deliver newspapers. We don't need transmission towers to be able to send video signal. So... We all now have that ability to be able to create and distribute content, um, but the gap in you know capability is, mm. is is a big one because it's a very different thing to uh, working and being effective in a newsroom uh, environment as it is to developing a say a particularly uh, a more traditional government communications approach, which looks at advertising campaigns and you know it's got much more of that kind of focus to it where where do you see then the challenges of that transition of government moving from the you know the buying uh, approach to the creation and distribution approach the challenges Mm. um well first of all the opportunities i see are great are great i agree yeah yeah you know like there are um well, for example, there are a lot of journalists on the market where they're looking for jobs. So um, that's a good point. Isn't yeah, it? you know that that it's a it's a different. You know, the, 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 there's no lack of journalism yep. um, graduates coming out of out of uh, the universities and, but, and institutes of technologies. Mm, that's right, but there are also like a lot of experienced journalists because the um, industrial changes. A lot of people have you know moved out of journalism into other comms roles, and also um, like you're saying, we don't need the you know print is. is is um, not quite obsolete, but getting there. Mm. So we have endless space online. Oh. Um, obviously, it needs to, be, needs to be used wisely. Do you think that's a risk? Do you think that's a risk, that the fact that there is unlimited space? Yeah, that, it needs you know, to do, be used wisely. Do, does, that, you, does that get you sloppy? Do you then yeah, think, you, oh, we'll just put it up anyway, it doesn't matter? Can do, can. yeah, exactly right. And mm. that is a risk, like you were saying. Mm. Like, you know, you need to be able to um, cut through the noise. Like there's a, you know, cut through the noise um, reach your audience with stories that they find compelling. When you're a journalist trying to sort of understand what what interests a reader, how did you go about that? How did you sort of make judgments about, okay, well, this this is going to actually light them up or this is actually not, you know, this isn't. You know, yeah. where, where, was, where was the evidence base that you moved, for, you know, to make those decisions? You need to know your audience. But how do so, you do that? Yeah, so... Um, well, there'd be market research, really, yep. around who your audience is, what their values are, where they get their information from. Um, you know, here we there's the idea of in communications of building personas of your audience. You know, they're like I say, like their their values, their demographic, and that. Um, yeah. So, for example, like I've worked at different publications. Each of them have a different kind of readership profile. Um, 
whether it's um, w working at the time at um, Australia's best-selling women's lifestyle magazine. We knew the women were into, you know, beauty and fashion and that, but they really cared about um, social issues as well. Okay. Um, and where did those where did those insights come from? Was it market research or was it events where you were talking to people or? Well, it would have been both, but definitely market research and also just from interaction with the readers. You know, like they would, um, you know, write in or you know, you, you and you'd know over time what um, publications sold, depending yeah, right. on what you had on the cover. You know, the ones some of them were much more popular than others. That kind of thing. Mm. You know, and also then you know working in newspapers in in different cities, you know what your audience is. You know, like there's um. Like, for example, in the UK, I worked at The Independent and they had a lot, the, the, their readership would have been a lot smaller than, say, The Sun. But you knew that yeah. stories that ran in The Sun um, wouldn't, uh, uh, the readership of The Independent wanted something quite different. Yes. You know, and that would have been from, not just from market research, but from, well, I was saying interaction with the readers, but also um, over time, just building that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for example, working at The Canberra Times, that would be quite a different readership to some other, some other, um, Put their newspapers around the country. Yeah, and but again, it sort of goes back to that sort of um, absolute essential uh, characteristic of curiosity, isn't it? You yeah, really absolutely. have to be asking, listening, thinking, feeling, yeah. and gathering data, as they say in yeah. this day and age. Uh, feedback from sort of any sort of environment. What about for for journalists? You know, I, I was a journalist. Do you still feel like you're a journalist? I sort of always, I, I still sort of feel like I, I am. I'm just sort of in a different, you know, not speaking truth to, well, maybe I am sometimes, but I don't, you know, it's, it's a different role. Like I used to be, you know, a political correspondent on a um, uh, national uh, political program for the ABC, AM and PM in the world today. Mm -hmm. And the job was to get stuck in, you know, mm -hmm. to get yeah. into the, and ask the questions and ask the questions that people wanted to know and to be, you know, almost belligerent if they didn't, and, mm -hmm. you know, trying to force and demand. So it's a different sort of a role, but, you know, I still get great satisfaction of out of, you know, telling stories in a different way. So mm. how do you find it now that you're no longer in the journalism, you know? Do you feel like you've sold out? No, I don't feel like I've sold out. I think it's all, it's it's an interesting one because people who work as journalists, not, not all people, but all the research shows and our experience as well, I guess, shows that people who are actually working as journalists can be very protective of their role. And there's this particular mystique around journalism. Yeah. And then when you step outside it, you realise actually, you know, it's a great job. I'm not knocking it. It's brilliant. And the people who, the practitioners are amazing. Yeah. But there's... The mystique is a little bit um, self-serving. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, people can s tell stories. Uh, anyone, this, this, anyone can do what they, they do. Well, but the skills are really important and the skills are what um, they have learnt. Mm. But it, but the, the, a danger I see and others have seen is that um, the curiosity can wane. If people, like there's this uh, great um, um, American... Uh, um, professor of journalism over at New York University called Jay Rosen mm. and he's been over to Australia a few times and he said what really strikes him of Australian journalism is this insider kind of mentality we even have a show called insiders which I love I love insiders <laughs> but like there's insider mentality like that yeah. they're in the know and the rest of us aren't yeah but actually what is shown here and in other countries um 
similar countries, is that upper parliament house at the press gallery, not knocking it, but it can become like a bit of a bubble. And I don't Completely. think that's the bubble that the Prime Minister is talking about, but, you know, just basically... Well, I think it's part of it. It's, 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 it's certainly uh, part of it. You know, that there, it's, um, yeah, it's almost like that, um, yeah, in, in the know and that the... the mm. But the, but the problem is, that I, you know, part of the problem, isn't it, now, is that it's such a different world than what it was. You yeah. know, I remember in my day and age, you know, we'd... We would file twice a day. You yeah, know, we'd, we'd be on a shift and we'd file either for AM and, and the World Today in the middle of the day. Then you'd go home, or you might come in and do the World Today and PM. Uh, you might do a night shift and knock up a story for the next morning. It's not like it is today, you know, where they're you know all singing, all dancing. It's almost like they're walking around with one of those, you know, yeah, the horns and you know drums and yeah. bangs and cymbals. Yeah, you know, got to do social. Then you got to do a bit of video. Maybe edit yeah, this, huge. get this up live. You know, all of a sudden, twenty-four hour news live. You know, particularly in Canberra, they'll live cross, and you'll go. You've got nothing to say. Doesn't matter. Up you go. You know, it's it's a. There's not the time to be curious because yep. you're so busy. There's not the time to go and have those conversations. There's not the time to go and build the trust. Yep. So how does that change things then? How does how does that dynamic, which has been driven by technology, change the discourse? And what opportunity is there for government in that evolving space to be more effective at the way they tell stories? Well, ideally there'd be the opportunity for the government communicators to go out and talk to people, like engagement opportunities, for example, to find out who, you know, the the target audience, I guess, like what their concerns are and what their pain points are, that kind of thing. Like so much journalism is done now from behind the desk. Like, for example, in Indigenous Affairs reporting here in Australia, there's like very little um, of it done outside the metropolitan cities. Mm. Um metropolitan areas um but yeah like government communicators hopefully they can get out from behind the desk sometimes and go out and meet the people and find the stories themselves mm. um i don't know if there is that opportunity much I, well, well, well it's, it's sort of this evolving role to me and i think comms is changing you know this mm. notion of there's a communications department is going to be superseded by the skills that particularly younger people have grown up with i think by the time you know, the, the younger generations arrive into the workforce, they're going to be, you know, someone says, oh, well, you know, no, that's the responsibility of the communications team. They'll be like, what are you talking about? You know, I know how to operate that machine. I know how to write. I know how to create content. I know how to... So it's it's going to change, and I think it's going to become much more of a distributed function as opposed to a... a, a you know, there'll always be need for specialisation, but I also think it becomes more critically important because in that engagement, in that pol policy development side of things, you are going to need more listening skills. You know, like we're seeing it, you know, you know, design thinking and, you know, this is all, you know, that research component of trying to understand who the audience is, which is that raw material, really, for the communications material. So I just think there's this very big change coming, and I think comms is, you know, as a role is going to become more strategic. Uh, yes, there'll be the need for the, the actual content creation, the specialisation around video production, graphic design. You know, those skills are going to be needed there. But increasingly, it's going to be a, a distributed function as opposed to a, you know, the comms team will do that for you. Right. And I think that's the opportunity around engagement is mm -hmm. that the engagement people are getting the insights. Well, if you're getting the insights, well, then, you know, knock up some content, you know, or take those insights and help to enrich the understanding that, builds better policy or better regulation. So, yeah, I, I think it's a quite a big change um, mm. that's coming and we're going to see it over time and it's there's going to be a much bigger need for communication skills. And those journalism skills that you mentioned before, 
uh, again, I suppose, the, you know, full circle of, of the interview. How, how do we get those skills into government? How do we train people to, to be curious? How do we train people to write better? Well, train is the key, you know, like um, training courses, really, and um, getting people to go out and find stories as part of that training. Yeah, yeah that's a, and that's a good point as well, because often, you know, I think people feel put upon that they don't really, you know, they, I don't have time to do training because I'm busy doing, you know, five million things. Because, every, you know, try and find somebody who doesn't tell you they're busy. You know, it's impossible. Everyone's busy. Everyone's mm. got things to do. Um, but well, I, I think you're, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, you've, the leadership has to, if they know that they want to make this transformation, they're going to have to make the space yeah. and make the investment to give people the opportunity to acquire those skills. Yeah, like from, like, let's say, APS level three, four, whatever, up, like, step it up, you know, yep. in terms of, like, learn, learn. like, in, bef- like, uh, you know, I was around before journalism degrees, right? They're still a <laughs> fairly recent thing. Yeah, yeah, they people are. People would do a different degree and then go and learn on the job. Yeah. Or would do some training, do some, you know, vocational training or whatever, and then go and learn on the job. Yeah. So That's that would be, That's yeah, what I did. Same. I, I had a, yeah. a marketing, a commerce degree. Right, yeah. And I was like... I want to be on the radio and I'm just going to go and work in community radio. Exactly. Yeah. And I just, you know. Learn on the I, job. I did all of the. It's the best way. It was great. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you've got half an idea, you can sort of watch the good people and go, mm. oh, okay, right. Mm. I get that. Mm. And, you know, I see that. Mm. And then looking for mentors as well. You know, I had some great mentors in journalism. Uh, a guy by the, the great Paul Murphy. Um, wonderful man. Wonderful man. And, you know, you'd write a lead. I remember when I started, you know, it's a lead into the, the, the broadcast story that you'd put in. And, you know, some, particularly when it started, it's rubbish, you know, you put it, and he had that gentle, kind way of sitting with you and saying, you know, is there a, can you see? And then you, you would learn, they would teach you. So I think mm. that's another key thing is that you've got to have mm. guidance. You've yeah. got to have mentorship. Yeah. You've got to have people who can learn. Mm. And the journalism schools are doing a really good job in that. But what I mean, like when we're talking about um, training in the APS, yeah. if you give um, people, you know, when they're starting out, the opportunities to explore this, to do some training on the job, to yep. get mentorship, like you were saying, from their managers about how they're going or where they're going to find the stories, like how they're, you know, constructing the stories and the, and the cr- content. Yeah. And, well, you know, that kind of mentorship is really important. And, um, yeah, and let them do some training. Fantastic. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. We are hard on time. We are up against, uh, we do try to keep it to about the half an hour. Uh, Sometimes we go a little bit over, sometimes we go a little bit under, but certainly, yeah, thanks for the insights. And I think that's, um, it's it's the way of the world. You know, these journalism skills are going to become the basis of those content marketing or content communication programs that are going to build into government agencies. And that is a capability that's going to have to be learnt and it's Mm. going to have to be in those organisations because that's what's going to be able to get it through. And as you say, cutting through in the world where, you know, everyone's busy, everyone can choose what sort of content that they bring to themselves at what time, you know, on the device of their choosing, in what format that they like it. You know, there's there's no end to the difficulty uh, and challenge and opportunity that this new world gives us. So uh, thanks for coming to Content Group. You're doing a fantastic job. I, there's no, Thank you. you. You just, you know, the, those really deep journalism skills, you know, applied into this environment. They're just, you know, they're, they're the core skill. And I think that's what we, you know, our mission at Content Group has really got to be to build this capability, not here in Australia, not only just here in Australia, but around the world. So government can better explain itself. So that's, this, to me, sits at the heart of what we're trying to do. Government's got to be able to explain why it is doing what it is doing. And if people don't like it, that's fine. There's a ballot box. They can vote them out at the end. But in the interim, 
you know, public services have to support the elected governments of the day. They might not like what they're going to say, but that's bad luck. If you take a job, you've got to try to explain their story as best as you possibly can. I think that's where there is so much opportunity for us because, you know, we have to rebuild trust. We have to get people to believe in democracy again and the institutions. So that's why we're doing this, GovComs, and that's why we come to work every day here at Content Group. So thank you so much to Michelle and thank you to the audience for coming back once again. We'll be back at the same time in a couple of weeks. So thank you very much and it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.